Welcome back to Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculations concerning Marvel films and TV shows. Today, it's just the guys. It is me and Adam. Uh, Rhiannon is doing some important life things right now, so it's just the two of us. Just the two of us, man. <laughs> Adam, it's free comic book day. You headed over to your shop? Uh, I don't know. I might. It wasn't in the plans, um, but I have to do errands around the comic store anyway so i might swing in and uh and see what they have nothing on the list uh really caught my eye like last year you know jeff lemire had a couple things out with bone orchard um but this year the list um isn't driving me there i might i might swing by who knows yeah i'm so annoyed i kind of got the kids like pumped up about it Mm -hmm. and then like we have like one so there's like in our area there's a decent comic store there's Mm -hmm. two branches of it like they've got two locations and they're like well the one location isn't going to do anything because they don't have enough parking which is kind of true and the other one's like we'll have up to four exclusive comics and i'm like they're supposed to be like 20 guys like i don't know i'm hoping they just mean like four per person because often they Mm. do that you know they have everything you just had to pick but man if we get there and there's like no free comics particularly the kid comics what are you doing? This is like the day to like get kids excited about comics and you're going to drop the ball, guys? Very frustrating. Just a update. They actually did an awesome job. They had everything they were supposed to. So my apologies to the local comic store. They did a good job. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, there's there's exactly one comic store in all of Cedar Rapids, the Cedar Rapids metro area. Um, and you go there and there, it's a four-car parking lot. And like the parking lot is uh, like if you pull into the parking lot, you uh, are like backing into a uh, cement wall. It's like a super small claustrophobic parking lot. And it's like, I I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to deal with that. And, um, you know, they already they posted a picture on Facebook this morning about having like crowd control and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not about that life today. If if there were some comics that I, I really really enjoyed, but my uh my pull list has dwindled drastically, man. When we started MND, I could say I probably had every single. I was buying every single Marvel and DC comic every every week. Most I would say ninety five percent. Um, and now I have maybe three books on it. Um. Yeah, the Radiant Black Universe, the Massive Verse from uh, Kyle Higgins and and that team and image, and then Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I pull almost because I just read it on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, and now since the pandemic, it's only a three month gap, uh-huh. and so like it's even less incentivized for me to go. Uh-huh. And so like uh, we do a pull list for you know anything Black Hammer. I grab. Mm-hmm. Um, I get Saga because it's like. Yep separate and so i can just read that and then uh we like the high republic stuff so i get high republic old so i can stay up to date with that that's about it all the marvel stuff i just wait a couple of months and hit it up on marvel unlimited Um, i mean three months that's how how that's how long it takes me to get to my pull list anyways man i just come home and put it in a pile unless it's something i've been like anxious to read but it, it launches around anyways yeah Speaking of comics, quickly, it's uh, release month for uh, for Keepers of the Cosmos, right? It's re- release week, man. 
Awesome. I uh, I was just waiting for official word to actually make sure that the books ship from Winter, but they're uh, they're at Diamond Man, they're at Lunar Keepers of the Cosmos. One comes out this coming Wednesday, the tenth. So I'm excited. It's comics are crazy, man. I I I had like memories this past week on Facebook. Facebook memories. Two years ago, we had like Keepers of the Cosmos one done. So that's just how long it's been sitting in the hopper. Yeah. I have to admit, I've not pre-ordered this one mostly because again, I don't like dealing with my local comic book right. store. So I'm hoping that they'll like put them up on scout and I can just order them from scout and get them shipped. Oh uh, yeah. Them. Scout, uh, scout does really good at the, uh, with their web store stuff. Cause they have a uh, actual physical store location that they run in Florida. Um, so yeah, those will be out this week physically for scout. You can order that. And I think we're doing six variant covers with it seven we have a, a cover b and then we have six uh like headshot type covers um so is there i mean the variant cover thing fascinates me mm-hmm. i'm assuming at this point as great as lunchroom riot is I mean, we're talking about thousands or tens of thousands of fans not millions of fans like is it it's worth it to do all the variant covers um or you just do it to do it to, for like i mean yeah you yeah <laughs> i mean let's do it to do it there it's and that's the thing man there's so many you you have to write the story you want to write but then you have to also um realize that there is a collector market and, and things like that you know yeah. so that's what's kind of weird being being the creator of something like this is I, if i could i would just release that one but uh I work with an artist, Juan Angel is, is his name. He's done so many covers for me. Um, he's kind of like um, my uh, personal or uh, Andy Park or Ryan Minerding or something. I, I always go to him to help out, like flesh out character designs and yeah. and for lack of a better word, visual development pieces that I can like pull up on my computer while writing and such. Um, and, and he does such incredible work. We're just like, yeah, let's turn these into covers every time so apparently they're they plan on doing i'm not sure if you've got on whatnot yet um uh, it's a live streaming slash selling app we're we're doing six exclusive variant covers through whatnot that's the word on the street i haven't been informed of it so (laughs) it's what you hear you're doing okay cool. it's it's what uh yeah it's it's what i hear the publishers are doing at least so yeah whatever um those covers are going to be out there sometime Cool. All right, let's jump into it. I don't have a lot of news, but I thought we probably should talk just click quickly about the Writers Guild going on strike. It was announced yesterday that Blade production has been paused again because the script wasn't quite ready to go. Um, the sense I've gotten is stuff like Agatha and Captain America, New World Order, and I think Wonder Man were written enough that they're at least for now still able to keep on going with production, but at some point those may be hit as well. Any thoughts about just like the writer's strike and how it affects stuff and all that kind of stuff? Give them what they want, man. I think Collider wrote a piece that with the shutdown so far, um, the studios have lost over like $10 billion in revenue from all the various delays and and production halts and all that stuff. And that's been not even a week. Um, And the 
WGA is asking for like a $400 million increase in payments. So, I mean, just looking at at the base numbers, I mean, it's, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, I mean, the, the, the guild released the uh, bargaining points, I guess. And it's absurd. Studios aren't even countering some of their things, you know, Um, they're one of the big sticking points is artificial intelligence and, and the studios uh, want to keep using it and, and all that stuff. And, um yeah, that one's a little concerning because like that's one that i think the public goes like oh that's a slam dunk you need to still use writers and not computers mm-hmm. and like the fact that the big studios are like um no we're not willing to negotiate on that yeah, why right. like yeah. and i've been thinking about it i don't think we'll ever see like totally ai written scripts mm-hmm. i think the concern would be like these third fourth fifth passes that like marvel does mm-hmm. and they bring in writers my concern would be like James Gunn hands in a first or second draft of guardians. And then you're like, Oh, we need to punch up two or three scenes. Let's just do a James Gunn style dialogue into our AI to just like fix, you know, like 30 seconds here of the movie Mm -hmm. or 30 seconds there. To me, that's where the AI would get really annoying and and problematic, you know, for writers. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at, um, it's robotic i mean there's there's you know that's like one of the only ways to describe it do you have people tweeting engagement bait with oh look at this video created by ai you can't even tell it's artificial intelligence it's you know hollywood's in trouble and then the video everyone has 18 fingers on one hand (laughs) you know and they have two noses and and all this stuff it is you can tell what's artificial intelligence man i mean We'll get into a lot of trouble, you know, talking about deep fakes and stuff. But I mean, AI is beneficial um, in some specific uses. And I think, you know, the WGA is not saying no AI whatsoever. Um, they're just saying, you know, um, AI can't. Who do you credit? You know, yeah. we've talked about the credit system with the WGA before and how, how, uh, whatever you want to call it how structured and organized it is who 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 i and then you get into the copyright you know in addition to the credits because you put the prompt in chat gpt uh and it kicks you know disney out a movie what happens if someone else also inputs a similar prompt in that ai manages to return the same exact script or something very similar you know what what goes on there certainly disney can't copyright that um there there's all sorts of things i don't think studios are aren't looking at through you look at you know the one of their talking points is that that eight executive graph it's insane david zaslov made eight times as much as bob Iger did that just blows my mind uh in base salary at least um it's whatever man you know i've i've gone on about disney and stuff before you know i'll never side with the corporation it's it's whatever you know it's pay them what they want i mean at the very least you owe the writers uh a good old-fashioned debate or negotiation and the biggest points the studio's not even willing to submit counter offers um which just floors my mind you know when 
when the box office is, is starting to come back, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and that's the thing to me that's really a shame about it. it. I think it sucks for fans and it sucks for theaters. And, you know, I think a lot of us are probably pretty prone to be on the writer's side of this. But the thing is, if it shuts down production, and I saw yesterday, I guess screen actors might have a similar thing coming up. Like, coming out of the pandemic where so many things got canceled and so many things got delayed, and it hurt consumers because we didn't get stuff we wanted to see, but it really hurt movie theaters who didn't have any product to sell, you know? Now that, like, things are finally pretty close to normal and the box office is doing good numbers particularly in the last month or so because there's finally enough inventory to actually meet demand now it all gets shut down again like i totally get why the writers would use that like this moment in history for leverage and i don't blame them i just think you know for all the different people whether it's you know guys that sell popcorn that could lose their jobs or you know like just kids at home that like watching you know disney movies like it's a bummer to me that after so many, a couple of years of disruption, all those people are going to potentially get disrupted again, you know? And it's not that it's not for a good cause, just bites. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Um, I think that's the biggest stuff on news. Anything else? Can't think of anything else going on. Mm. It's been sort I, of. No, a- it, was, it was all surrounding, you know, Blade and stuff. There's questions if, uh, you know, Fantastic Four might get pushed back now. Um, just depends on how long the strike is, you know? Yeah. I think it's really fascinating too. the, like the weird places that put someone like James Gunn, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got the sense that he like rushed to get the script through like finished for, mm-hmm. for his Superman movie so that now he can keep on working for DC as a producer and an exec, but he can't technically write, but like, that has to be a, a nightmare ethics thing. Like, oh, is this a task that I should or shouldn't do, you know? Yeah, he he's probably has the most unique position in, in Hollywood. It's not like, you know, it's not like these writers aren't going to stop writing, you know, for the life. I, James Gunn's still probably jotting ideas down in his notebook and coming up with treatments and stuff, right? He's just not going to turn it into the studio. Yeah. But at the same time, he essentially turns it into himself right so what's stopping james gunn from just writing on you know his laptop for the next six months or however long the strike is um there there's nothing stopping him so he could have all these scripts in the can um ready to go and then once once it opens up he just submits it to uh whoever you know saslov or whoever what the process is there but yeah man it's he's in a very um interesting situation and uh good for him on getting superman legacy in because once that's signed off i mean they're already in pre-production you know so he, he's gonna meet release on on that and all that stuff so um yeah well talk about I, a dream I, job because what rewrite i mean can't he just like direct even if they're still on strike he's directing and just says something off the fly i mean what constitutes writing you know yeah i did see that also um showrunners are in a weird spot because if Mm -hmm. you're a showrunner like you have to do your non-writing like production things for like the studio 
as a showrunner, but like you can't do any writing. And it made me think about how it's going to screw with Marvel because we've talked a lot about how there's no showrunners at Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. It's like the the head writer, and then there's the director. And I was like, is this the sneaky way that like like Disney was like pre planning for a writer strike? That they could keep their director going and not have to worry about, you know, like working with the showrunner on that stuff. That was just a side note that was in my brain, you know. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, thinking um, about Marvel, it's it's super interesting. I'm surprised they just didn't halt production across the board, especially because, you know, they're, you know, the studio is notorious for for writing scripts on the fly. There was a report that... um, what was it? The Spider-Man, the uncredited Spider-Man No Way Home writer had to write like 175 pages in a single day or something like that on set. Um, That's crazy, man. <laughs> it's well, it's crazy. The, I, apparently there was a version of No Way Home. Like they started shooting before Garfield and, mm-hmm. um, and um, McGuire were signed on. And so, like, they had, like, a version ready to go that was that movie without those mm-hmm. two. And then they were like, oh, now that we got them, we'll actually have to write this. <laughs> yeah. It's un- it's... I mean, I want to I want to make fun of it, but then also, apparently, they just ad-libbed Iron Man's dialogue on the day, you know, back mm-hmm. back with Robert Downey Jr., so whatever. Yeah, it's good on them, you know, that's, if, if they, uh, they make, I mean, they make it work. I mean, the movies make all sorts of money and, and all that stuff, so it works. Now just, uh, now just pay the writers for having to do that kind of bullcrap. And I think there's an interesting philosophical thing that happens where Marvel's always been famous for the Marvel method, right? Mm-hmm. Where like you sort of have a script, but then the artist would start to work on it, and then the writer would like reshape things to what the artist was doing. If I understand correctly, is sort of the thing that marvel did with stan lee back in the day that people have talked about a lot i think this way of writing movies probably is almost an homage to that you know like it's a a back and forth collaboration either that or it's a way for writers to get a lot of credit for stuff they didn't do you know i know people (laughs) take it both ways but no yeah it is it is that is an interesting you know comparison it's it blows my mind that no other studio in hollywood does it does it this way you know you have producers that want to make a movie on a shoestring budget so they refuse to do reshoots and all that stuff the reason why marvel movies are so acclaimed is because they 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 run the movie through test screening after test screening after test screening and go back and do pickup shots for for the stuff they need you know and that's that's how they uh that's how they please everyone you know you would think eventually most studios would do that. We might see it, you know, coming up with DC because, you know, James Gunn, um, you know, has that Marvel experience. Um, but it's, it's interesting, though, because I think there is a balance. I think the best Marvel movies largely have been the ones with a singular writer director who has a good vision, mm-hmm. whether it's Russo Brothers or Gunn or Kugler. And the thing that I've heard, particularly about the Russos and James Gunn, is that they know what they want and the reshoots are necessary, but not a lot. And like mm-hmm. I heard guardians three, they had just the bare minimum reshoots mm-hmm. and that James already had the movie pretty well constructed in his head before they ever started. 
And so I think what you see is Marvel's way of doing that when it meets a strong directorial vision like James Gunn, it like it goes, okay, let's take something great and let's increase it. Whereas if it's somebody who maybe doesn't have as much of a vision, sorry, Peyton Reed, maybe, but like someone mm-hmm. like that, that like it turns into like wishy-washiness and it just sort of turns into a hot mess, you know, like right. you need a strong sense of somebody who knows where they're going. Right. All right. Talking about people that know where they're going. Let's talk about Guardians 3. What'd you think, Adam? It's finally here. I just want to pause for a moment. Given the journey it's been and James mm-hmm. firing and all the times that, we, you know, I'm sure we worried that we wouldn't see it. We have now seen a completed trilogy by James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Was it everything you hoped it would be? Uh, yeah, and then some. Uh, as it stands now, the more I think about it, the more I like it. It's uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Not not Marvel movies, not, not uh, superhero movies, not comic movies. Just overall, it's one of my favorite movies I've ever watched. Um, it checked off every single box I wanted to see checked off, uh, and then some. You know, it blew every single expectation I had um, out of the water. And um, man, I loved it. I adored it. I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, I need to. You know, I've said before, I've gotten to the point where like I have to see these things two or three times before I totally know. Mm. It's been a long time since I've left the theater ecstatic from a first watching like i think Mm -hmm. endgame was kind of there for me but like a lot of times i'm like that was pretty good and like as i think about it i like it but i have to like see it a second time through um most things lately i mean multiverse of madness and black panther wakanda forever both of those i like a lot more after a second and third watching Mm -hmm. than i did the first time you know because the first time is just you're so much trying to catch everything Mm -hmm. and like all the information that like you're able to like step back and appreciate it more, I think, yeah. uh, on a second viewing. But so far, I mean, yeah, I I loved it. I, I think the thing that struck me is it was the most James Gunn movie of all the three Guardians. Like you could just tell with each movie, Kevin Feige gave him more leash to just be mm-hmm. himself, and that's totally here with this. I think this one's a little more like grotesque than some of the other ones and there's like the like gnarly gross biological stuff that sort of his slither starro Mm -hmm. brain kind of wants to put together um you know it's got our first mcu f-bomb i think is a james gunnian thing um the the fight scenes had to have been real close to r i mean they played all kinds of tricks Mm -hmm. i feel like to keep that pg-13 from like robotic skeletons and you know like weird yellow fluids that you're not sure if they're they're blood or like Mm -hmm. motor oil so that like you can kind of split the difference i don't know did it seem like a little more edgier movie to you than the typical marvel fair uh yeah i i think the most edgy part of it was the uh, uh of course the animal violence and stuff um especially that first scene man i that was hard to get through that was exceptionally hard to get there. I was lost in it. Between between sobbing in the the damn movie theater and the actual content itself, man. Um, you know, the moment when Rocket was said his first word, man, it was it was rough. That's why I mean we almost went back Friday, but Kelsey's like, I'm not sure if I can get through those scenes again. 
you know, and I think that makes it suit. I mean, I think I'm not sure it was needed, but at the same time, I think that's what makes Rocket's arc much more rich and um, much more human and much more, um, yeah, real. You know, it's brutal. It's uh, you could probably call it edgy, you know. Uh, I thought the f bomb came the the uh, I wish they didn't release that clip, um, you know. But uh, I thought that it flowed organically within the context and stuff. Um, there were people that gasped at the movie theater; they couldn't believe it was actually <laughs> the Iowa sensibilities <laughs> couldn't quite take it. <laughs> well, no, I I think they. I mean, you know, it's a Marvel movie, so you don't really expect you know that type of stuff. Uh, but there was that moment where that one Ravager was like burnt to a crisp, but it was only kind of like partially burnt to a crisp. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, that's that's getting on there. But I think yeah, it's it's not a, a Marvel thing. It's more of a, a more Hollywood thing, you know. I mean, look at Psycho and the uproar Psycho caused, right? This uh, and now on network television, you have people saying f bombs and you have decapitations and stuff like that. So, um. I think it's just weird that they, uh, what is it? The MPA, the MPAA um, has gotten so lax on violence and blood, but not swearing. Yeah. You know, what's, I guess, what's the thought process behind that? Who knows? Um, the one that really struck me was when Warlock uh, ripped the head off the one, like, Pig oh, thing. pig thing, and it yeah. had like um, it had like a robotic spine like sticking yeah. out of it. It reminded me a little bit of uh, if you saw Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, that was a movie where they kind of like pushed the limits, but it was with a robot, and so, mm. but it was like a so there was like all sorts of oil splitting every splurting everywhere, but mm. it wasn't technically blood, so it was like oh, it's just a machine getting taken apart, you know? Yeah. Where did oh we saw that with um Scarlet Witch and the Ultron bots. Yeah. Similar scenario. But uh yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he's not firing um what they call him on Agents of Shield? Chillers or blasters or whatever. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. he's firing he's guns. <laughs> those those are real guns. So uh so yeah, it's all it's all about how you, you perceive it, you yeah. know. I mean that yellow um goo is still copious amounts of alien blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean they're very much dying. Um but yeah. Speaking of very much dying, people did not very much die. Yeah. Um we were I think everybody's expecting a like a big body count on this. Mm-hmm. And I, I as far as I can tell, all the major folks made it through. Was that surprising, or did you know ahead of time because of the things you'd heard? Or, um, no, I I try. I went into this. This was the first one in a while um, that I didn't intentionally spoil myself. I did ask, um, I did ask if Rocket died. That's the one thing I, I really needed to know before going in, just to get my uh, mindset right. And once they're like, "Yeah, no, Rocket doesn't die," I'm like damn okay let's see let's see how they do this um our uh, comic book our uh comics writer you know i always thought that i mean death and stories make sense because it's a part of life we're all gonna die and, and people have loved ones lose but our our comic 
uh, review editor, Chase, uh, he tweeted something one day about how the better stories are um, keeping, um, I'm going to butcher it, I'm sorry, Chase, but keeping people alive and and having them deal with the adversity through death and things like that. And those are the types of stories he likes. And my thought process is slowly coming around that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it makes sense on the Marvel standpoint because uh, Rocket, you know, sells a ton of toys and Groot sells a ton of toys. And apparently we have King Groot now, which is incredible. And they're going to make Funkos and plushies and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, everyone's still alive, you know? um i'm surprised by that but at the same time i don't know why i didn't have faith in gun to finish their stories because every single person on that roster um had had their story wrapped up pretty as nice as can be you know even gamora you know where i can see how gun was frustrated with that card he was dealt but at the same time i think he made the best work he could um you know out of that situation well, it's the most comic-y gamora i think that we've had yeah. in yeah. some ways he like fixed his error i think there yeah i was thinking that too when she goes back off to the ravagers i'm like man we might get the deadliest woman in the galaxy you know yeah yeah i, I thought that not only i mean everybody had a story but i remember like we talked with quantum mania and there was sort of some criticisms. I feel like Charles Villanueva was one of these. It's like nobody had an arc in Quantum Mania, and we had sort hmm. of a doc on the podcast where I was like, "No, I see it," and I sort of explained it. And I think Rhiannon was sort of like, "Well, the fact that you had to do that much explaining right. suggests that it wasn't a great arc." There would be none of that with this. Like we could go through all the characters and immediately, mm-hmm. like Mantis is kind and compassionate, but she doesn't care take care of herself and she struggles to challenge people beyond mm-hmm. what they already are. That's her like that's her move in this thing is mm-hmm. to like recognize her own needs and realize that you know the difference between comforting people but also challenge like that was there and it was really explicit and it was obvious. And he did that for eight different people, yeah. you know. Uh, the one who didn't, and I'm glad the high evolutionary. We talk about this a ton. The yeah. fact that the high evolutionary was just a bad dude. He mm. wasn't like, oh, his mom didn't hug him enough when he was a little kid or yeah. he got picked on in school. So you understand mm. why he tortures animals. It was like, no, he, he is just, just a yeah. jerk. He's just a yeah. bad person. And it was kind of refreshing just to have a bad guy who was just a bad guy because he was bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliant performance, too. Um, with that, his, that one set design is incredible, man. Then the visual effects on this, man, I, there wasn't any Thor leaping off into, you know, from the courtyard moments, you know, or like, oh, is that the volume? Why, why is that so noticeable? You know, um, they killed it on that. And I think that's, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, James Gunn's vision and, and look for that. But yeah, man, it, what a, such a good movie such a good mood the character work you know nico santos was awesome in it too um yeah for a second this is dumb when high evolutionary's face got pulled off Mm -hmm. for a second did you go like what he's the red skull why is he the red i think it's like (laughs) that nose cavity thing i was just Uh for a minute confused (laughs) 
I'm uh I'm surprised they showed like the blood and guts on that one. Like that was gross, the sound and like the dangling stuff from the skin mask. Uh, I thought they were just gonna show like his the high evolutionary's red robotic face that we know him as. Yeah. You know, but then they went that route and I'm like, okay, so we see what Rocket did. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um Rocket, when he says his full name for the first time, that's probably one of my favorite Marvel mo- moments ever. You know, it's just such a good line. It's so predictable, but it's like, it's like that. That is probably my Avengers assemble. Yeah, from, <laughs> from Endgame. You know, it's uh, at, yeah, or uh, you know, the uh, you've seen Obi Wan, I'm yeah. sure. Right, the uh, you didn't kill Anakin's part, everyone knew he was gonna say I did, right? Yeah, but or what's he? Yeah, he says I did. Um, yeah. it's one of those moments, but man, it's just so good to hear it. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. I, I'm suspicious there are going to be people who are gonna feel that Warlock was, I don't know sort of totally misdone sort of the way that Ronan and Drax and Gamora have been. Oh yeah. You're not on Twitter. Are you? No, not much. I am sure <laughs> that the bimboification of, cause I don't know. I noticed it. I'm not a huge warlock fan, but as soon oh, as he so was cool. on it, I was like, Oh, that's what we're doing with this guy. Okay. That's mm-hmm. interesting. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There's many, many people absolutely hate it, but it makes sense. He, they, they explain it in the movie. He's, he's a child. Because he was removed from his cocoon too early because the high evolutionary got too uh wanted to fly too close to the sun, you know. It's uh they explain in the movie people still don't like it. I I enjoy it. I mean it's it's part of Adam Warlock, you know. He he dies and goes back to his cocoon and, and is reborn. And at this specific time, this movie probably what took place within the span of a day or something, you know, a couple of days at that. Um we see him very much at his infancy and I had zero problems with that, you know? And I'm suspect like my thing about it, I'm not upset because I think by the time they get done with Will Poulter and six or seven things in the MCU, Mm -hmm. we'll get a Adam Warlock. That's a little more like what we would expect, but it's okay to like, I think it makes him a really interesting it gives him a fascinating genesis because now you have this super powerful being Mm -hmm. that has a degree of sort of childlike innocence about him, Mm. but who is shaped at his core by star Lord and rocket and the kindness of the guardians. And so it like gives a legacy to these stories that can be continued that every time warlock does something you'll see the fingerprints of the way the guardians treated him you know Mm -hmm. which to me is an interesting way to go forward the uh clark kent story you know um i think we already saw growth too because what the post-credit scene he busts out some classical music or something i can't even remember what he said his favorite song was or something so i think just with that one line alone you know we we saw plenty of growth there now you mentioned the post credits. Um, are you pumped for Guardians Four if it's that team? I mean, what are your thoughts there? 
it's a unique team. I mean, of course, we have Rocket and Groot. I is Craylin going to still stick around? I'm I'm surprised to see him see him there. Uh, Cosmo's great. I I mean, Cosmo's another you know Rocket type. That's why I thought Rocket was, was a goner. They just put Cosmo in his place. Uh, ecstatic for Phyla, man. I'm so so thrilled for Phyla. Um, they were um super <laughs> they didn't add the vel to that which i figured they they might do um so they're they're going that route uh i'm just bummed dave batista's done man because then that means how how are we going to be able to get moon dragon you know without dave batista if we could get some moon dragon and and file teaming up um but yeah who craiglin rocket groot adam cosmo and phyla right something like that um i would be very surprised if we don't like get a mantis series or something out of this well or a star lord something apparently have you heard any idea what that no very last post-credit tease was and that's what's so weird uh chris pratt was just said that uh he's hesitant to come back he's one of the few that said they would come back so i figured he would you know, and I mean, Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel, they record our loaded lines in a single afternoon anyway. So it's not like they can't well, get them. That was my big, that was the thing that really struck me about that final Guardians team mm-hmm. is they could almost make an animated something out of it. Because at this point, there's like Poulter is really the only major human character in that bunch. Yeah. And like, so as long as you get him on board, you could get whoever to play the girl, you know, as she ages. It, it's really a bunch of mostly CGI. Like, I just, I think it would be awesome if Guardians 4 was an all animated movie that was Cosmo and Rocket and Groot, you know, like, I just, um, there was something about that team. I was like, oh, that's really heavily, like, CGI they're really going towards stuff where they can record some dialogue lines. You know, are we going to get a movie someday that's like Lion King or Ju- Jungle Book, right. you know, where it's just it's live action, but not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, yeah, that's uh, kind of what we got with Quantumania. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, it's true enough. But oh yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's the type of thing. I mean, Phyla, how how long is she going to stay young? It's the type of deal, you know, with all the genetic manipulation and stuff. Is this the only movie file as a child? And the next one is their main file for the next group of Guardians or whatever, you know? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I'm super interested to see where it's going. And, uh, you know, I think we've all said this or thought this at least all along. They're not going to sunset the Guardians of the Galaxy brand. Just because it's James Gunn's last movie and Zoe Saldana's and Dave Batista's they're never not going to make another guardians movie um so we'll see i will we'll see uh where it goes i would suspect we at least get another trilogy you know um they're not stopping avengers movies um so we'll see but who knows i i mean we have we're going through the pandemic and you know I, we still haven't seen the last round of delays from the pandemic i don't think um, and now, you know, with the strike, we're, we're certainly more stuff's going to be delayed. At this point, uh, you know, I'm not even sure Blade's even going to get made. Um, I don't remember the last time a Marvel project's had as much production problems as Blade. 
Uh, I mean, um, I think you could argue Guardians Three. Guardians Three, yeah. Because I mean, you have to remember, Guardians Three was in the place that Blade is in right now when Gunn got fired. They had a script. They were getting ready to go. They were producing sets. Right, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, yeah, but that Guardians Three was just you know it was either James Gunn's vision or not. You know, because we talked last week about how they probably weren't even going to do it without him. But Blade, they just don't know what vision they have. You know, they're already on their fourth rider. Um, they switched riders after sets had been built and in pre-production and stuff, and now it's just delayed. Um, yeah, I, I think as long as Mahershala wants to do it, they'll do it. Oh, they're going to do it, absolutely. But, you know, there's already been a case where uh, apparently Bloodline may be in the movie, um, and they've already had a recast, apparently. Um, according to the hot mic with Jeff Snyder. Um, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, I want to see, I want to see Blade so damn bad. And apparently we're not getting Mephisto special. So, uh, they're just teasing us with Werewolf by Night, man. Coming back to Gar, coming back to Guardians, um, I think just generally, like thematically, it was just a really well put together and powerful movie too. Like, you know, like I mean, it makes sense for who Gunn is, but just like a movie about like accepting people for who they are and showing them like kindness and compassion. The way that like the Guardians team goes from a bunch of cynical, sarcastic people that like make fun of each other all day long in the first Guardians to people like legitimately love each other and concerned about each other's well-beings. I just think, I mean, it, to me, it's up there with like Ted Lasso, as far as like a show that's about how to take care of other people, how to care about people's mental health, you know, how to think about the Mm -hmm. needs of other, like, I just think it's a mate. It's, and it's such a fascinating mixture in a thing that's like full of like gross out humor jokes Mm -hmm. and like decapitations and you know spider-legged bunny creatures in the midst of that that the also the theme is like no you should be really kind to other people i just think that's that's what makes this one really special i think is that it's something so beautiful inside such a weird grotesque kind of rapper Mm. like that's james gunn though at his core i think Mm. and so i think that's why it works so well oh absolutely uh you know and this spins off of that i had zero problems with any of the needle drops, I can't remember watching a movie had that had as many as many songs in it. You know, I can't even remember the score because there was just so many songs in it. No needle drop was as good as you know Florence and the Machine at the end. Oh, um, I loved I, that sequence, dude. So I love. I have a special place for Florence and the Machine. Like mm-hmm. one day, I am going to plan a church service that instead of hymns, it's just Florence and the Machine songs. Because it would fit. Like, I mean, I just find it to be very spiritually a powerful music. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I heard like the like whatever that yeah. is, guitar ukulele part at the beginning, I just like my whole face lit up, yeah. you know. And then we got like four and a half minutes of just got the whole joy. song. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's what I mean, these are the most alien characters on the surface, but you look at them and the they're they're the, the, the most human out of the whole entire mcu i mean every single person on the face of the planet no matter um how gross of a person has probably been so happy at some point they wanted to dance you know 
um and that's just the perfect way to end that movie man it's uh that, that moment was so good it was so good it was the first time in the movie happy tears were shed man i can't i that was the most i've ever cried in a movie i think yeah. it was just had a most guardians 3 why i like it so much is guardians 3 has a lot of my favorite different moments or favorite concepts or favorite things and it's very memorable for me man and the more i think about it, the more i talk about it the more i uh it's the reverse love and thunder man well and there's a i think there's all sorts of untapped potential now for watching the three together mm-hmm. and watching them as a trilogy i mean already i saw screen crush talking about this i think it was really good the opening credits right like mm-hmm. the first movie's opening credits is peter like dancing and having a good time and singing and then the second is baby Groot dance around in Mr. Blue Sky. And then this one's opening credits are them carrying Peter passed out drunk mm-hmm. while Creep plays. And like mm-hmm. that is a very fascinating, like intertextual thing to do to make your third movie so different. And it sets a different tone. But the you know, he was even suggesting like the first two are people who are singing and having a good time while being deeply broken inside. Whereas this one starts with people having a really hard time, but they're actually being honest with themselves. And like, there's something really fascinating about that. You know, I, I gun talked about uh, on the red carpet. The first movie is about how we relate to our moms. The second movie is about how we relate to our dads. And this one's about how we relate to ourselves like mm. this as a three film piece, I think is going to be so fascinating to watch together and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And every single story um, decision just makes sense, man. Like like on Counter Earth or the spaceship, wherever they were um, with the Adelisks. I'm like, oh, man, that's so good because the audience already knows how much of a pain in the ass Adelisks are. It took the whole entire Guardian team to kill it. One of them, and you have Mantis who calms down an entire herd of it you know and within that one scene you have a huge culmination of a a character's story arc and it's magic man it's nothing short of magic um for what gun's able to do through these movies you know and the the uh how non-consequential the christmas special felt just because of that i think i felt much more attached to david or drax and and uh mantis you know and then to end this out and then you have uh drax's uh jube jube scene you know it's like damn man these it's just the best decisions all around yeah well and i think it seemed like a little thing at the time but the mantis being peter's sister like reveal of the holiday special it did some heavy lifting because you know, like in this movie, it's just accepted that there are siblings and they just go forward with that. That would have been sort of the revelation that you would have required to let Peter like mm-hmm. deal with in this movie if it had been here. So doing it in the holiday special, you can just go, oh, yeah, he's been able to process that between the holiday special and now, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that's the thing. The more I think about it, I'm not sure what criticisms i think i 
I had for the movie, uh, including Jennifer Holland, and it kind of did take me out of it a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but people, people are freaking I mean, out. The really Nathan either. Fillion thing was far more egregious, oh, right? And so, <laughs> right. But then, even then, they uh, they let him do do his thing, and his go to one liner was, "I have a guy" or whatever. I'm like, okay, I can forgive it for that, you know. Uh, but yeah, I can't for the life of me think. I think my biggest. So if we're gonna try to do a criticism, I think my biggest one would be. I think you can make a case that Adam Warlock was not necessary for this movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Like, I think you can argue that he was here for the same reason that Val was in mm-hmm. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which was to set something up down the road. And here it was, you know, like it was seamlessly done enough that I put up with it. But like, there's a million ways that Rocket could have been injured at the beginning. And there's a million ways they could have saved Quill at the end, like making it, it just didn't have to be Warlock. It it was fine that it was, it just wasn't necessary to me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. So, also, the, uh, the like, um, God creating Adam, like, finger touch <laughs> move, yeah. I kind of sighed at that. Yeah. It felt a little bit like, um, like, uh, oh, was it? Batman versus Superman or whatever, where like Superman's like body stretches out and like a like a cross of light like flies through him or like mm. oh Christological metaphor. Okay, cool. I see that. <laughs> um you know, like I don't know, it was a little on the nose for my liking, but that's fine. Yeah. All right, man. Well, um, I'm happy to keep it short. I think we'll probably talk to Rhiannon some about this as well coming up. So you got anything else? No, no, man. It's so great. I'll, I'll probably see it again this week. I I don't know when, but uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. The the rewatchability is fascinating because I think it'll be pretty heavy mm-hmm. in some way. I was, I was telling my wife, it's weird. It is the heaviest and darkest of the three, and it has the happiest ending of the three. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I, I think I love that it's not these movies are not neat. Like they're not just fun romps, but they're not just like heavy either. Like Mm -hmm. uh, James Gunn's ability to emotionally balance a movie so that you feel a little bit of everything. I mean, he's just, you know, I don't know. It it makes me hopeful that we can see, um, you know, I'm hopeful that Daniel Dustin Cretton, is that Mm -hmm. it? Is that right? Yeah. I felt this with Shang-Chi and I'm hoping that we'll continue to see from him that that's a similar filmmaker that has like a singular enough vision. The Marvel machine can get in its own way if there's not a strong hand at the wheel. And so I think that's what James Gunn has shown us is how good it can be if they've got somebody who knows where they want to go. So for sure. All right. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Like I said, we'll be doing some more. We'll talk to Rhiannon soon about Guardians. And then we'll have to get ready because uh, we got Secret Invasion now, like six weeks away, something like that. So, oh, not even that, man. Isn't, doesn't it come out in June? Yeah, but we got four, four or five more weeks left in May. What, so. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay. One, <laughs> two, three. Oh, yeah. Okay. Probably six. Yeah, but soon enough. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for those guys that support us over at Patreon. We'll see you later.